You're listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. All right, welcome into the newest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today we have our, new- our newest guest, Morgan Olson. Morgan, welcome on in. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so I actually talked to Morgan last summer, you know, deciding if I wanted to do sports PT, and she was gracious enough to, you know, talk to me and call me, so I wanted to have her on. So for those of you who don't know you, Morgan, why don't you give everyone a little bit of background about yourself? Perfect. Yeah, so I, uh, I grew up in rural North Dakota, and I did my undergrad at NDSU in Fargo, Go Bison. Uh, I did my doctorate uh, in PT at Mayo Clinic, and I was really lucky that I had um, a really diverse education. I got to see a lot of very unique things there. Um, from there, I went back to North Dakota, and I did a sports physical therapy residency at the University of North Dakota and serviced the athletics department and got to be pretty fully integrated into really a collegiate D1 sports setting. And now I work in one of the larger uh, outpatient sports settings in North Dakota. So what made you choose a sports residency, say over an ortho residency? Uh, I think going into PT school, I always knew that I maybe trended a little bit more um, towards sports. I think that's just where my natural interests have always lied. And so uh, that it was, it was really a no brainer to me. I think orthopedics residencies are wonderful. I've had a lot of friends that have went through them and had just great experiences. But I think for me and my career goals where I wanted to end up a sports residency was without a doubt the best choice. And what made you really um, want to do sports in the first place? Did you grow up playing sports yourself or what were you involved in growing up that made you want to do this? Yeah, um, I grew up, I was a really, really competitive kid. So I definitely played sports. Um, Once I got into high school, I was uh, competing uh, Taekwondo. So I fought um, at like the state and local uh, levels for several years. And I continued that through college. And that was really kind of where my passion lied. And so this seemed to really meld uh, my, I guess, my personal interest in the martial arts. I continue to do that today. I oversee um, some school operations and I continue to teach martial arts. And so this was the perfect professional avenue to complement my, my recreational. I think we have um, a lot more in common than you think, because I also did martial arts growing up from when I was, I did Taekwondo from when I was six all the way until high school. And after I graduated high school, I stopped competing, but I would teach private lessons in the Tampa area kind of, you know, pay for pay for rent but that's something I did all throughout my life and I think that's really guided me into wanting to do sports because I love working one-on-one with individuals that are really driven to kind of become better and the rehab aspect of it was was a perfect avenue for that so that's awesome I didn't know that about you so what else um, what in particular makes sports so fulfilling to you you know you said you've done it your whole life but like what about it makes going into your job easy I guess you know, I think for me, uh, growing up in a community where I, I went to a small school, you knew everyone. Um, I think sports, no matter how big the metro is or how big of a population you're working with, you know, sports gets pretty small pretty fast. 
uh, once you're working with higher level, whether that's high school or college athletes. And I think the relationships that you build in that process, you know, whether that's you've treated, you know, a child of this family before and they just really liked working with you and they had good results. And now you see everyone else in that family or you might see like the grandparents. I've had that happen. Um, But I think for me, what is so fulfilling about sports is the relationships and the drive. You know, a lot of these kids are probably among the more motivated. uh, And at that stage in their life, being highly competitive is everything. And so you have to do a lot less of the motivating and you can spend a little bit more time on the education and and really driving home important points because these kids usually are are open ears and they really want to listen. Right. And that's something I also love about working with, especially like high school level athletes, because, you know, some of the some of these kids, they might not go on to play college or professional sports, most likely won't. But, you know, the four years that they're running cross country or they're swimming or they're playing football, like that's probably some of the best moments, you know, they'll have in their young lives. And so helping them get back onto the field is a great feeling because the kids are willing to put in every amount of work to get back to doing whatever sport they are with um they participate in okay so i have never been to north dakota and nor have i i didn't even know north dakota had a sports residency so kind of tell us a little bit about it you talked to, to me a little bit about your experience but why don't you tell everyone that's listening a little bit more about the north dakota sports residency Yeah. Um, so when I was in PT school, I, I knew I wanted to pursue a residency and I had applied to two. Um, I had applied in-house where I was at and I applied to Mayo Clinic for their sports residency. And then I applied to UND. Uh, and to be honest, I was was really thinking I was going to stay where I was at. Um, I liked the experience that I'd had at Mayo and I, I felt pretty confident that if I had gotten an offer from there that I'd probably stay. Uh, and then I met the program director, Gary Schindler, at CSM in probably like 2016. And we just hit it off. Uh, we really clicked. And that kind of then became like, a, you know, I should maybe apply here. Uh, and I got up there and just the interactions with the people and the ability to really get the experience, you know, and not have the experience of, you know, you're going to watch a physical therapist do this and that's going to be your experience. Uh, but that like, you want to come travel with us? Let's go. Uh, you want to be the person to do some of this stuff? Like, let's put you in that role. And you got to be pretty independent early on, but you still had just phenomenal mentoring and you got to see people through from start to finish because probably 85% of the people that you saw in a week were within the athletics department. And so um, I had a guy tear his ACL uh, at a game 10 feet in front of me. I got to go with him to his uh, first doctor's appointment. I was one of the first people to put hands on him and say like, ooh, that's a positive Lockman's. And then I got to see him five days a week for almost nine months uh, and got to do just everything with him. And so I think if you view a residency as something that should really give you like a holistic experience, you know, I didn't see the volume of patients that you might see if you're in a a hospital or a clinic-based residency where you're seeing mostly a full caseload and you might be seeing you know, eight to 14 different patients a day. I didn't get that kind of experience, um, but I got to see stuff all the way through. And that was, I think, so paramount in understanding how stuff ends up and and how can we, in the early and kind of intermediate stages of rehab, help people get there. I don't know that I would have had that um, otherwise. And I just had phenomenal mentors. uh, And that was the other big thing. I think when you and I had talked uh, earlier about like, what do you look for in a residency? I think 
it could be the perfect residency on paper for anyone. Uh, but if you and the mentors just aren't, aren't on the same page, you don't vibe, you just don't feel like they're your kind of people, you're going to have a lot harder time learning. And I, I thought learning in residency through mentorship was so much fun because it was so conversational. And I think that really the, the mentors there and I clicked just wonderfully. Right. So kind of diving a little bit deeper about uh, mentorship, if you don't do a residency in your like in a clinic, because um, I think mentorship is important at all levels, whether it be outpatient orthopedics or neuro or in acute care, um, what is something that you look for personally in mentorship? Um, I think, you know, it, it comes on a few things. And I think a lot of what you're looking for in mentorship maybe varies based on like where you're at in your career. Um, and where you're at kind of within even like the specialty that you're in. And so, you know, always looking for somebody that's got years of experience and and really a proven track record with seeing a lot of things. Uh, And now that always looks different for everyone. I don't know that there's like a stereotypical mentor that works for everyone Um, because I know I have some of my older coworkers that will then ask questions of myself and some of our younger coworkers just like, what what are they teaching in school now? And I think in that way, you know, mentorship goes both ways. Um, but I think you have to be with somebody that is is really willing to be honest with you um, because mentoring isn't just like, yep, that was good. Yep, that looked fine. You know, it, if we do that, we don't get anywhere. And so you have to have somebody that not only has the knowledge and the experience and, and the wherewithal of, you know, what's best practice and what clinically works, but that can relay that information to you and then give you something concrete and sustainable to like build on because I I think that's the biggest thing you got to take away from any sort of mentorship is like okay well how can I be better and you have to be pretty honest with yourself and they have to be willing to be pretty honest with you to do that right and that's actually a great answer um you know when looking for mentorship it's not even just what they can do for you but you have to also be willing to accept any of the critiques that they give you because they can give you all the best advice in the world but if you're not willing to listen to them it's really not going to do you any good. Okay. Um, I wanted to kind of go back a little bit about your time at residency. Um, and you said that you were working, you know, with that athlete, you were the first person to see him, but then you were also, you know, in the doctor's office with him on his, you know, first visit after the injury. So how do you recommend, you know, sports PTs best interact with other members of the sports medicine team, whether it be athletic trainers or surgeons or other team physicians? From like the sports team perspective, we bring a really unique view to things uh, because at least in the setting I was in, we were, once they were deemed injured enough to be in our care, we were kind of the one constant. Uh, And so they might touch base intermittently with their athletic trainer, or they might have a short conversation with them at practice as they're standing and watching once they're out of play. Um, But, but we were really the ones that were seeing them all the time. And so I think uh, the biggest way that you can can really make those connections and communicate with everybody is to build trust. You know, I think once people started to trust me and that, you know, I had the athlete's best interest in mind, I was, you know, being very straightforward and honest with my opinions and where I thought things could realistically go in a timeline and all of that. I think once people trusted you, your word had a lot more weight. And I know that's a common complaint. Uh, with PTs across all settings whenever we're talking with anybody that's, you know, interdisciplinary teams. Uh, And so that was within like my immediate team. That was the biggest thing was building that trust and coming at it from here's what I'm seeing. What are you guys seeing? How can we make an educated, 
you know, guess on how to best treat this person or where this person is going to end up. And then within the community, um, working with like some of the docs and surgeons and things like that, I was really lucky to have mentors that had been in the, the Grand Forks community for 20 to 30 years. And so all of the surgeons and the physicians knew them, respected them, and it made it so much easier to just pick up the phone and, and call and ask those questions that kind of sit in the back of your head uh, all the time of like, I wonder why they did this and not this. Or, you know, I don't know, I wonder if they'd like to see this back. Because I know it's hard to, to be that person to reach out. And so being, you know, in a community for a long period of time and making those longer term relationships is greatly helpful when you want to communicate, especially kind of up the interprofessional chain. Right. And I think that's one thing, you know, we come out of PT schools. I mean, most PT schools, you come out of generalist and you might on one clinical rotation be able to talk to, you know, a physician. I think I emailed a couple of doctors on one rotation and it's, it's not the same as being able to do it consistently, get good at it, learn what different doctors like, you learn how to communicate with different doctors. Um, so I think that's one thing that's really valuable uh, piece of advice. Okay. Um, so kind of a more broad question. What makes a great sports PT to you? Super loaded question. Um, ooh, some of like my favorite sports PTs, you know, they, they just come in like all shapes yeah, and sizes think, and like yeah. different packages of personalities. And I think that's like what's so cool about sports. You know, all of us would congregate together in the corner of any bar, but like we might all look totally different. And so um, I think you know, you have to be, you have to be a good communicator. Uh, and we've talked about that. I think that just keeps coming up, uh, because you probably have to do more communication than your average outpatient orthopedics therapist, mm -hmm. because you're communicating with not only the patient, usually a parent, sometimes two if parents are divorced, sometimes three. I mean, there's just a lot, a lot of dynamics, um, an athletic trainer, sometimes coaching staff. I mean, there's a lot of communication. So I think being, being consistent and clear and concise with that makes, life a lot easier, saves you a lot of time in the clinic and a lot of headaches. Um, I think the ability to, to be like sympathetic, uh, because for a lot of these kids, this is their first major injury. They haven't really experienced a lot of pain. Um, they haven't really ever had a time where they couldn't do something. Uh, and a lot of times you are the first person that's got to be that cheerleader. And I know that's something that earlier on in my career. And even sometimes now I struggle with like, I'm not a big rah, rah person, but they need it. Um, and so we got to find a way to be there for them um, when they do that. And then I think the other thing is you have to be really, really clear at setting expectations. Um, you know, I think you, you think of an ACL, everybody wants to run and everybody wants to run as soon as they can. Now, not everyone should, but if you don't lay out kind of a, a relatively clear roadmap for them, with timelines and functional testing and like some baseline strength and motion requirements, you get this like weird back and forth of like, well, yeah, but I'm 12 weeks and this protocol that they gave me says I can run at 12 weeks, but they haven't maybe met the prerequisite strength and things like that. And I think all of that comes from setting really clear expectations early on. And I think everything else that you do on top of that is kind of your personal style. Like I am very casual and friendly with a lot of my kids, but I am not that much older than a lot of them. Uh, you know, I think every clinic has to have like one super hard ass older lady that just uh, like, she has been around the ringer, like, she takes no crap. Like, this is what you're doing. Don't ask questions and you will get there. And those patients end up just like doing really well too. Um, but that's, I guess that's my big things that I 
feel make me most successful in the clinic. Um, and I have noticed that my coworkers and other colleagues that have those do really well. Right. And I think that um, setting those timetables is, is probably like one of the most daunting things to me, um, you know, because you learn in school about these injuries, but do you feel like confident that that's the most up-to-date thing that is going to be best suited for this patient? Um, I remember the first time I had an ACL patient during one of my rotations, I was like, well, I know, you know, around four months for most surgeons is return to run, but like, do I feel a hundred percent confident to tell that kid that's what it is in case it's wrong? And I don't want to give him false hope or anything like that. Um, so that's one kind of leads me to my next question. Um, what resources or, um, what type of, yeah, I guess resources do you use to kind of make sure you stay up to date on evidence to make sure you're able to provide the best care for your athletes and patients? Yeah. So I'm really lucky to work in a, a larger health system based outpatient sports clinic. And so we have, I mean, we have protocols for everything, which is, you know, good and bad. And a lot of times those get frequently updated. Like during COVID, we had time to update a ton of protocols. And so that was, at least for me, a really good experience because our staff was the ones that went through and updated. So I think having a protocol to go off of, but then also seeing the dates on some of those is always really important. You know, like you talked about how up to date is this, you know, if something was written and last reviewed in like 2018, you're right. There's probably some new stuff. Um, I also happen to be lucky enough to be in an office where we do monthly journal club. And so we're always bringing articles forth. And as an office collectively, we do a pretty good job at reading through JOSPT and reading through some of this stuff. And as soon as one of us sees something that's relevant, we try to just say, hey, have you read that or throw it on people's desks? And it seems like that's an efficient way to get information around. Um, the other thing I think I find myself doing a little bit more is just seeking out some more specific research on diagnoses, surgeries, things like that, that I don't necessarily see a ton. Um, I just had a couple ladder J's come through and there's not a lot of those running around. Uh, and the protocols on those are, are kind of honestly, probably as much of people guessing by what's worked in the past as evidence-based. And so I think, you know, going to the literature when you you definitely have something that you just don't see that often um but then staying up to date on your big clinical practice guidelines and things like that is the best way to start you could be busy all all day every day if you truly wanted to to be up to date on everything i just don't know that's possible right and i think i um journal clubs are great you know throughout uh my clinical rotations we had to present something at a journal club for at least once per rotation so that's a um, something, you know, I can, can try to continue throughout my career because it's an easy way to keep everyone accountable, making sure everyone's looking at new research, trying to constantly improve. All right. I got one more question and then we'll get you out of here. Um, what's your advice for any aspiring sports PT? You know, I think the, the sooner that you, you definitely know that that's something that you would like to pursue, I think the better. Now, I don't think everyone knows that they want to end up there. And if that's the case, that's something you really can't control. But if you're a first or second year PT student or you're entering PT school and you know that that is kind of the direction that you'd like to go, I think it's never too soon to start to seek out some of those opportunities and mentorship, start to, to watch some continuing ed videos or go to continuing ed things. I think all of that as a student is a really good way to boost your resume because sports residencies are getting incredibly competitive. Um, I know one place I interviewed, they had 20, 
like six applicants for two spots, you know? And so I remember like looking around and being like, oh my gosh, I was the least qualified person in this room and everybody has done so many cool things. And Mm -hmm. sadly, it's really hard to rack up those cool things if you wait too long. Um, And so starting sooner than later is always really good for that. Um, I think the other thing that I find helpful in my clinical practice was I did my CSCS um, when I was in my first or second year of PT school. And I think as far as them being able to have really good conversations back and forth with like strength coaches and just dosing appropriately, I think things like that never hurt um, and definitely shows some commitment to kind of continuing your education outside of probably the relatively poor exercise dosing information that you got in PT school. Uh, I think things like that are important. And then I think wherever you're at for school or, you know, even if you're out of school, just getting in touch with people in your like community that you're, you're living, working, going to school in that are doing what you want to do and try to get their ear. Um, and how you go about that is obviously different with everyone, but I think half of sports is, is who, you know, and it's making connections and it's really hard to get into things like that if you don't know anyone. Um, and so I know a lot of shy people really struggle to break into sports PT and they might be just wonderful clinicians, but you've got to be willing to take that first step and, and reach out. You know, I've had people reach out to me for like mentorship or questions about residencies and things like on LinkedIn or Facebook. And I think a lot of people like do truly enjoy it. I think at least I personally don't see it as like a bother. And so I think starting to try to build that network of people that you can bounce questions off of or go sit in the clinic uh, or even like take them out for a beer and dinner. Like we love that. I love beer and dinner. And so like trying to, trying to just like get, get some of that FaceTime to, to really decide that's what you like. And then from there you start to pick up like what makes them successful and how did they get there? Because I think how you get into sports has also changed a lot in the last 20 years. And I think nowadays most people are going the route of residencies unless you really have a great connection with somebody like that, you know, is going to hire you the moment you get out of PT school and is willing to be patient with you as you kind of find yourself as a clinician. And I think just with everything else going on in the state of physical therapy, I think there's a lot fewer clinics that are willing to maybe take that time and build you up. And so, you know, reach out to residency directors of programs that you're interested in email them, go visit programs. Cause some of them are just going to stick with you. And you're like, yeah, I, I loved that feel like that felt like a perfect spot for me. And others will kind of surprise you like, wow, that looked perfect online. I got there and it just wasn't for me. And then find something that fits you and go chase it. Cause that's really the, the only way that you can do it. You got to be willing to put yourself out there and, and take some of those little risks to, to pay off to have a really great job at the end of it. All right. I don't think I could have asked for a better answer. I think that answer basically encapsulates kind of why I wanted to start this podcast because um, I think I sent it in the initial text message I sent to you. Um, I want to create this because when I was starting in PT school, even in my first and second years when I was like, I think I want to do sports, but I don't really know anything about it. It felt like almost gate kept. Not, not really, but people just, it wasn't, there wasn't any like a resource where you could go into it. Um, I didn't even know about like mobilize for like the AASPT until like right before I was about to graduate and which is a great resource, but like there was nothing for me that I was like, okay, I can learn. 
about residencies or different paths to get into sports PT. So I wanted to create this resource to, you know, find out. I've talked to some people that have done residencies, some people that haven't, some people that work for professional teams, some people that work in clinics. And I just wanted to show like there is other ways to get into sports PT um, and be involved in it and different ways to get involved. So, you know, I think your answer was great. And again, I'll get you out in here on this note, but I really appreciate you coming on. Um, you said you had never done a podcast before, but you could have fooled me because you did great. So I, I really appreciate you coming on, Morgan. And with that being said, this has been the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Huge thank you to Morgan for coming on the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We really appreciate all her insight and taking some time to talk to us a little bit more about her experience. If you like what you've heard so far, please consider like and subscribing us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you find your podcasts.